This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning, one and all. (laughs) Frank Proctor here, the sous chef of the garden. I had to check and see whether my mic was indeed on. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I hear you. That's good. Okay, that's good. And that voice belongs to Charlie Dobbin, who is at her home in the beautiful Prince Edward County. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning to you, Frankie. How are you? Well, you know, I admitted this to you uh, prior to airtime. I had a very restless sleep. I had one of those nightmare situations. Oh. Oh, man. I don't know why that happens, but it does. I was throwing myself around apparently pretty good. <laughs> so it must, Maybe it was the change in weather. Kind oh, of threw you off. Hey, and I'll tell you, it's darn chilly out there. Isn't it, though? Did you get a little snow yesterday at your place? Yes, we did. I'm uh, not surprised. I almost started to cry looking <laughs> up the window there. Well, by, but by, you know, I, I did let you know and send you a picture that we have our new family now on the farm. I know. Yeah, I think that's so swans sweet. And six baby cygnets are so cute. They baby swans. But what I love about the picture you sent me is that the mom and dad have brought them to meet you. Like, they yes. have brought them to you. And they're looking so proudly at you and at the little babies, and the babies are all looking at you like, oh, hello. <laughs> like, they were born an hour earlier. So sweet. Yeah. They really trust you. That's they, so they great. They do. They do. Well, they listen, do. what's going on at your place? Well, you know, here's, here's an idea. Why don't you do the phone numbers? Oh, and then I, I got a couple of announcements. Absolutely. Okay. In Toronto, my friends, to reach Charlie, it's 416-360-0740. Anywhere in the province, toll free, 1-866-744-740. And, of course, if uh, you... I just was searching for my bell, and my my little ringer's gone off the bell. (laughs) What? Wait, that can't be right. No, there, there it is. Okay, that's that's for folks who are first time callers. Oh God, I'm out of it this morning. It's one of those days. Yeah, uh, if you're a first time caller, let Carlos know our operator. He'll let me know, and you're going to hear that before you get to the airwaves. And our little mantra is call early, call often. One question per call, and there we go. Okay. Okay. Hey, so listen, a couple of things going on in the in the land of horticulture. One is the Beaverton Horticultural Society annual plant sale is going to happen. I guess there's been a real struggle for a lot of these horse societies. Mm-hmm. They use plant sales as a big fundraiser, and I think it's been a, a challenge trying to meet the rules and the criteria for a safe plant sale and pull it off. Well, turns out Beaverton's pretty confident they're going to be able to pull it off next Saturday, June the 5th, between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. at White's Creek Flower Farm, which is 1125 Concession 7 in Beaverton. Of course, masks are required. It is an outdoor event. Uh, And according to Anne, who sent me the note, she says there's a large selection of perennials, perennial seedlings, vegetables and vegetable seedlings, and annuals. So, 
go for it, everybody. If you're in the Beaverton area, support the Hort Society and do some shopping next Saturday. Uh, and one other is the Riverdale Hort Society. They are having their regular Zoom meeting on June the 9th. Uh, they do have an ongoing photo contest at every meeting. So for more information, I would suggest you go to the www.riverdalehorticultural.ca. But the June 9th meeting has Anna Leggett speaking on gardening blues. Okie dokie. All righty. Uh, well, we're up to our time and then some, uh, so we better take a break. Our lines are jammed at the moment, Ooh, Charlie. Baby. Yeah. So we'll be back to say hi to uh, Judy calling in from Stratford in just moments here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, my good friend Charlie, uh, out there in Prince Edward County, let's uh, say hi to Judy calling in from Stratford. Good morning, Judy. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I have a question about a clivia. Mm-hmm. It's a very happy, healthy clivia. It blooms eight times a year, but it's gotten so big in the pot that now the, you can't put your finger in anymore to <laughs> test whether it needs a drink. And the outside leaves are starting to die. Mm-hmm. So when I transplant this and divide it, mm-hmm. what kind of soil? Do I just use potting soil or do I have to add something to it or what do I do? No, a, a good quality, brand new, fresh out of the bag, uh, usually soilless uh, mix. Container soilless mix. It'll be a peat-based media. That's what you want. And remember as well that, and you probably know this, clivia or clivia love to be uh, very much root-bound. So they Mm -hmm. like being in that pot that that is too small. But you're at some point, yes, the roots are growing out the bottom. There's no room. There's no soil left because it's all roots. Yes, you're going to have to tip everything out, separate, make some more plants for some of your friends. But don't, don't, you know, don't give too big a pot to what you end up separating out there. Okay. Because, like, the outside leaves right by the pot, they're all dying. And I gather that's because they're rubbing on the pot? Yeah, I think it's they're probably just not getting sufficient um, moisture. But it isn't unusual for the, each of the individual little plants. Because, of course, when you look in there, it's kind of like a hosta, right? Yeah. A million and one little uh, sort of uh, tufts of different plants all growing tight together. Um, the outer leaves do, do finish because new ones are coming up in the center. So it isn't that unusual to just tear those down, break those off, and keep it clean. But, um, but yeah, if it's been a no- number of years. Like, I, have, oh, yeah. I haven't repotted it. Gosh, I bet it's been easy 10 years. Yeah. Um, but it is getting to that point where I'm going to have to at some point. It'll break its pot. I have, a, I have it in a terracotta pot mm-hmm. because I like to make sure that it's, it's very important that it, it doesn't ever stay soggy. They don't like being wet. No. They, want, okay. they want water, but they don't want to be wet. So if I divide it in half and then take that half and divide that into mm-hmm. like another half, would that be okay? Sure. Okay. Yeah, but just don't right. go back into that same big pot with those smaller bits. Okay. Thank you so much for your help. You're very welcome. Thank you. You have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks, Judy. Take care of all the folks there in Stratford for us. Uh, Charlie, I've got a hold of a question from last week. It was a second question on Mm -hmm. an email. So let's uh, satisfy Ruth, uh, who uh, sent this in from Port Dover. Uh, She says... A new paper white birch was planted the other day. I was told to put protection around trunks in the winter to protect from rabbits and water frequently. Are there any other suggestions to make this tree successful in my backyard? Mm. So that's actually a pretty good, pretty good question. Because <clears throat> birch, we all love birch. And, of course, there's many kinds. It mm-hmm. sounds like Ruth has a paper birch. 
I have a what's called a yellow birch in my garden, and the gypsy moths are having their way with it. So keep an eye on your birch. They're very tasty plants. There are many insects that like to eat them. So visit that birch, watch those leaves, make sure that the, there's nothing chewing the leaves. And if there is, then you're going to have to take some action. It can be simple soap or it could be, you know, the BTK, natural insecticide. And with birches, yeah, they want to be watered deeply. Uh, none of this little light, you know, sprinkle giving the soil a bit of a moisture at the top. You've got to do a slow, deep watering with that plant. Uh, and you're going to do that every week or so, and it's going to be based on temperature more than anything. So watch, you know, if it gets really hot like it was, or we get into a drought like we might, then you're definitely going to be watering deeply every four or five days. Um, and it's approximately two inches of water a week for the first year. And once that plant's established, after you've done that, that good work to start with, it, uh, it won't need that same amount of water in the future. Okay. Um, glancing at the monitor, I see we have one line open, so you can get a call in from Toronto to Charlie at 416-360-0740 or anywhere in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And one of our lines is tied up because John's holding on to that from Mississauga. Old friend John. Good morning, John. Charlie, good morning, Frank. It's hard to get to your phone, my friend. Uh, we are. I, anyhow, I succeeded this time because I called Carlos early. Good stuff. <laughs> Good idea. Charlie, um, yeah. my wife bought a palm, a palm, you know, an indoor palm tree. Yep. Uh, um, how often uh, does she have to water it? Well, it depends how much light it's in. Generally, the palms want either bright, you know, in the window or bright indirect. So you don't want to put that in the tuck that in the back of the corner somewhere. That's a plant that usually needs bright light. Depends what kind of palm it is, of course, because there's many kinds. Well, <clears> I cannot tell you that because uh, you know, but it's not in direct sun, Charlie. That's a problem. It's not in the sun, did you say? It's it's not much in the well. It's it's facing west. Oh, okay. And is the are there shears on the window that it's close to, or is it window yes, open? Yes, there are shears in the window, yes, Charlie. Okay, so um, if you can, well, again, it depends on what kind of palm it is. You, John, you could send me a photograph of the plant. That's right, yes. I could tell you what kind of palm. Some palms handle lower light better than others. Uh-huh. It's a very traditional, it's called an areca palm. It looks a bit like a vase. It's V-shaped, narrow at the bottom, big fronds that fill out like a waterfall at the top. Um, Areca palms, they like bright light. So, you know, it's going to be one of those things. It depends how much light you've got it in. But for watering, it's going to be stick your finger in or get a hold of a moisture meter. So that's Mm. that little probe you stick into the soil. And it'll tell you what's going on uh, six inches below the surface of the soil. Most palms, when you think about where they naturally grow, they do not want to dry out entirely, nor do they want to be kept soaking wet. They want sort of that consistent moisture. And uh, if you can provide, uh, you know, water well when you're watering, let it dry down fairly well between waterings. But again, water well when it's ready, that it should do fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay Charlie, nice talking to you again. Thank you, John. Both of you. Yep, you bet. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Take care, John. All right. Interesting. I I read something interesting. I'm sure John knows this. John is originally from Malta, and Malta is one of the few countries in the entire world 
that has got COVID-19 under control and have returned to normal. Wow. But it is an island. <laughs> <laughs> right, you are. Now, just <laughs> a quick heads up. vaccinated everybody, apparently. Here is a heads up, uh, Charlie, for Rick in St. Catharines. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be dealing with your email question next, Rick. So stand by here on The Garden Show. Charlie Dobbin coming at you in just a couple of moments. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Okay, uh, Charlie Rick from St. Catharines sent this in, along with the picture that he sent you, too. He says, hi, Charlie. I love your Saturday morning show. Listen to it every week. And this is one of about five peony bushes in our backyard, which faces south. The bloom in the pictures look like it started to form and then just stopped. Any idea why? It only seems to be this particular plant. Right. So in the photographs, it looks like the peony has, has something that we call bud blast. So bud blast uh, has kind of been identified and, and given a lot of different reasons for why it happens. Um, sometimes they used to say bud blast was related to a fungal disease, but in this case, I doubt that that's what's going on. I don't think it's a, a, a fungal disease that's happening. So here's the things that, that Rick needs to think about to be truly successful with that peony. So number one, water. Peonies need their water consistently, particularly in the spring, and it's been very, very warm and dry. So make sure that there's sufficient water, sufficient sun. You know, there's that six hours of sun a day minimum. Remember fertilizer. So whether it's organic-based fertilizer or synthetic fertilizer, peonies do need a, what we call a high-potassium fertilizer or at least of a reasonable potassium, keeping in mind that the three numbers on a fertilizer package are N, nitrogen, P, phosphorus, and K, potassium. So the third number uh, is the potassium, and peonies need a high uh, potassium fertilizer. Maybe it's crowded. Is it really mushed in there with a whole bunch of other plants? I, I can't really see in the photograph. So if it's overcrowded, avoid that because, again, we get dead air, insufficient light, and, and the plants start to suffer from that. And then some things you can't control, like temperature, early in its development, um, peonies like a, a cool spring, and they want it to start cool and slowly warm up. And we kind of went from winter to summer overnight there in April, and then we went now down for a, or I guess I should say in May, we did that super warm temperatures, and now that we're towards the end of May, we're getting our more April weather. So the poor peony is probably confused, but I wouldn't consider this a long-term problem. It's likely just this year. Okay, that's very good news, I would think. Uh, um, let's Frankie, go. I'm sorry. Just, uh, just sorry for interrupting, but just before you go to the lines, I just want to say two things. One was I have a mea culpa at, to, for Shirley, oh. your lovely partner, and also one of our callers or one of our emailers, I think it was last week, who wondered about getting out and planting tender stuff whether it was last week, Saturday or the Saturday before, I can't remember. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's no frost in the forecast. Get out there. Get planting. And <laughs> then know, the snow just, arrived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just in time, I had hail yesterday. Oh, I was watching my tomatoes going, I hope that hail's not hurting the tomatoes. It was very, like, freezing rain kind of hail. Anyway, Shirley was right, because you said it. You said, 
Shirley would say, you never, ever plant before the 1st of June. And she was right, and I was wrong, and I just want to be, you know, clear on that, that, you know, Shirley should be hosting the show, not me. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That won't okay. happen, I'll tell you. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks okay, for that one anyway. more thing. Thank you. Uh, wait, we have, wait, uh, wait, 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 Frankie, yep. one more thing. I just oh, want yeah. to cut in with one more thing. We had a caller on May the 8th named Michael, and he was calling about some Washington tulip tulips that were growing in his garden, and he could not figure out why they were keeling over. He gave a pretty clear explanation that 20% of the tulips were falling over. He didn't understand. I sent his question off to one of my good friends, who's also a bulb importer in Mississauga. She didn't know, and she sent Michael's question off to Holland. Oh, wow. Right. So, from the horse's mouth, from a gentleman (laughs) named Robert Huitenbogard in Holland... Here's the answer to Michael's question. He says he's not sure because there's no photographs. He says, without pictures, this is very hard to know for sure. But judging from the description of Michael, it looks like a boron deficiency. Uh, Michael could have seen some transverse cracks just above the leaf axle of the lower biggest leaf at first. With the deficiency progressing, these little cracks got bigger and the the stem breaks when the plant is touched or shaken by the wind, which would explain the, pl- the, the st- flowers keeling over, like halfway up. He says some cultivars are more sensitive than others. He says, I don't know if Washington is one of those sensitive cultivars. He says for this season, there's no solution, unfortunately. For following years, a boron-rich fertilizer, such as an organic fertilizer like blood, fish, and bone meal is advised. Commercial nurseries apply a dedicated boron leaf fertilizer on all their tulips. Uh, Michael also says it's advised that the listener, Michael, is planting daffodils or other flower bulbs in the same patch next year and no tulips. Okay. You see, my friends, Charlie will go to any lengths <laughs> to get the answers that you need. Exactly. Including sending out stuff to Holland. To get my right gosh. down to the nitty-gritty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm clicking my wooden shoes together for you. Terrific. Uh, Mary is on the line just around the corner here in Toronto. Good morning, Mary. Welcome to the show. Good morning and thank you. Um, I have kind of an odd question, uh, you know, for our expert there. You know household spices that you have in your um, cupboard, cupboard there, kitchen cupboards, like allspice, tarragon, you name it, I probably have them. A lot of them are very, very old. I've been wanting to get rid of them, you know, in the little glass jars. Yeah, yeah. And I, if, when I can, if I know I'm going to use something, I prefer to try to buy it when well, you can't buy bulk now. But anyways, yeah. long story short, I didn't want to just throw them away. No. What I was wondering, could I just dig them into the garden or sprinkle them around some plants like, uh, you know, hostas or even bulb plants? Yeah. Like, could I put them in the garden? You then could. back uh, the soil. Do you compost at all? Do you have a composter? I do, but it's not a real compost. I'm almost at the end of it. Okay. Because, um, yeah, I think you said it yourself. Sprinkle these things around. Don't just dump uh, in so that you've got kind of an intense amount of whether it's, you know. Oh, I wasn't um, thinking of doing that. I was thinking of spreading thinly. Yeah, sprinkle anywhere you want. It's, it, it'll smell great, actually. Now, some spices are going to be even better at kind of scaring away things like squirrels. So oh, whether which it's, ones? Like, which ones? The squirrels have devastated not only my garden, 
but they've bitten off the, they've hung on to the eaves trough and bitten the buds off my niece's climbing rows, and they have dug up everything everywhere. They've eaten my tulip bulbs. They're a mess. They are. What do you suggest? Those are those inbred urban squirrels. We need to change up some of the genetics there, I think. Um, uh, okay, so they do not like cayenne pepper. They don't like anything that when they sniff it, it makes them sneeze. Okay, uh, so in my even, bird feeder, I put cayenne pepper. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. It took mm-hmm. about a little over a day, and they were back at it. Really? Fresh cayenne pepper. Huh. Mm. And you mix that in with the seed? Yes. And, and they even on the ledges where the birds eat, they yeah. still... Wow. little over a day, they thought, oh, so what? You know, like they have invisible masks on, I think. <laughs> because, you know, they do sniff, right? And the, that makes them sneeze. So, um, and birds, of course, don't sniff. So that's yes. why it doesn't affect the birds and at I all. I learned it's safe for them, so that's why. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would think any, like you mentioned, allspice. I know cinnamon can be quite interesting. Ants don't like cinnamon. So if you've got an ant nest somewhere, sprinkle cinnamon on that. Um, so there's sort of a, any of the, the little bottled granular things you've got, I would sprinkle anywhere you wish and enjoy the smell and see what happens when the squirrels run into some of these things. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for your help. Keep, keep in touch with us. Let us know how that goes, Mary. Wow. I will. I'll let you know what, what works. What a problem, huh, Mike? I know. Gosh. Uh, want to get a note on the air here sent in uh, by David. Uh, doesn't exactly mention where he uh, sent this from. But anyway, good morning, uh, Charlie and Frank. These male... Uh, I think it means small. Small shrubs, small maybe shrubs. dogwoods, have been invaded from these little worm-like <laughs> creatures. I've cut off all the affected branches and deposited them into the garbage. How do I ensure they don't return? Any help would be appreciated. David. Right. So thank you for your email. And there are some photographs attached. And that is not a dogwood, but I can't be absolutely positive what it is. So, David, you know what you've got? Those are called spindle galls. So, G-A-L-L-S, spindle galls. They are not little worms or creatures. What it is is a little tiny, tiny mite, so a little tiny insect, is on the surface of a leaf. And this happens on maple leaves all the time. So, many of our listeners right now who are listening to the show Step outside, go look at some of your maple leaves after this. You're going to see this. So little tiny, tiny insects on the surface of the leaf. The leaf responds by growing around the insect. So you end up with these little, they're like stalactites, or actually the other way around, stalagmites, um, protruding up from the leaf surface. Like all the little sort of volcanic eruptions are on the surface of both David's shrub and many maple trees as we speak. Not a problem. It's just what plants do. They they respond sometimes to the invasion. The, these mites are so tiny that even though they are sucking juice from the maple tree, or the shrub in this case, they, they have no detrimental effect. They're just too small. They take too little tiny bit of anything of, of that matters. But it does look very deformed, these spiky growths on the leaf surface. That is more aesthetics than anything. Do not worry about it killing the plant. Just enjoy the oddity of it. Uh, if you wish to remove the leaves, as David did, and stick them in the garbage, you can. But um, I think they're kind of interesting. Like, 
they, they do look odd, but they are not something to worry about. Actually, one of my new neighbors here in the county brought me a maple leaf to ask me, is this a problem? He was all worried that, you know, something was killing his maple. And I was like, nah, nah, it's a spindle gall. Don't worry about about, you know, 40 of them all in one leaf. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. Good news, I'm sure there. All righty. <laughs> I'm reaching for the bell, Charlie. Hey, that's the first time caller bell for oh. Susan calling in from Stoville. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Yeah, morning. Thanks very much for the call. Um, we have a concern about some lilac bushes, which we transplanted from a farm into our backyard here in, in Scarborough. And they're now about, this was done five years ago. After the first year, we had two years of really nice blooms on them. Mm-hmm. The last two years, there's just been really one or two. Mm-hmm. They're now about 10 feet tall. Mm-hmm. We don't know... Should we severely prune them back, or what should we do to try and bring back more flowering? Okay, so you have some options. It could be that the reason you have fewer flowers now is because you have been pruning late in the summer or early in the fall and Mm -hmm. removing the next spring's blooms. Because remember, with early blooming plants, like lilacs, spring blooming shrubs, the buds, the flower buds are set, are grown and set in the fall before winter. So if we start pruning our lilacs in August, September, October, we are taking off the buds that would flower in the following May. So be careful when you are doing any trimming on your lilacs. If you want to maximize your flowers, <clears throat> do your trimming right after they flower, which is, imagine what they're doing right now, is they're just finished flowering. Mm-hmm. But they sound like they're too tall, so you have options. And there's different ways we, we prune lilacs. One way is that... We never just give them a haircut, like a, like a poodle cut. That's just wrong. Um, one way is that you, you look at the plant, and this year now, you would take out up to one-third of its growth, but you would take the older stems first, the five-foot-tall ones, and you would take them off at ground level. So you're going to bring the entire plant down in height by removing the tallest, oldest stems, at ground level. That's going to allow new growth to spring up from the bottom. You're going to make sure that the, the soil has been amended and it's, you know, fertile. It's got some good organic material in it uh, and or fertilized. But either way, you're going to make sure that the plant survives this process of pruning and sends out a bunch of new growth. And next spring, you should have lots of flowers. <clears throat> the other thing you can do, and people will sometimes get just frustrated and tired with sort of tired old lilacs, is you cut the whole plant down to about six inches high, and you would do that usually in early spring, like earlier than now. Um, but you, I, I don't know if I'd go six inches high right now, but you could bring the entire plant down, taking off up to two-thirds of the plant. We call that a rejuvenation pruning. So if it's five feet now, you can bring it down to, what, two feet, foot and a half, uh, just, again, straight across, everything comes down, and then wait for it to grow up, but feed the plant in the process. Okay. So can, and just feed only in the spring, like after you've pruned it. Yeah. Generally, what we do is we feed our plants. We make a point of either supplementing the soil with manure, organic matter, that sort of compost, mm-hmm. or we get out the synthetic fertilizer and we actually fertilize when the plants are actively growing and everything is actively growing in the spring. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Thank it's you up. very much.
Thanks for okay. calling. Thank you very much for calling. Uh, we're going to take a next little break. I Just to let you know, Charlie, we've got two more uh, first-time callers waiting online, so we'll be getting to them. Don't worry, but I'm going to deal with a, um email next uh, mm-hmm. from a, a lady with a wonderfully flowing name here, Arlene de Castro-Monte. That's <laughs> lovely. So, Arlene, little heads up there. We're coming at your question next here on The Garden Show with Charlie Dubbin. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, stalks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Arlene de Castro-Monte in Ajax, you're next to get the... Advice of Charlie Dobbin. Here we go. She says, Eight years ago, I planted a limelight hydrangea. After maybe five years, I planted vanilla strawberry hydrangea next to it. My limelight is growing very well and giving me beautiful blooms, but my vanilla strawberry, well, not so much. The leaves and blooms of my vanilla strawberry are much smaller. Also noticed last year, my limelight is turning pink before it dries out. That should happen with the vanilla strawberry. What's happening? How can I correct this? Wow. How about that? And I love, she says, thank you and more power to your show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I like it. Let's take over the world, right? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the two hydrangeas that Arlene has mentioned are both uh, fairly new on, in the last 20 years. They were brought to market by a company called Proven Winners. So if you want to look up the, the real deep down details on either of these plants, go to the Proven Winners dot com website. But here's the bottom line. She planted the limelight first. So the limelight is more established than the vanilla strawberry. So what does the limelight look like? Well, both these plants, both these hydrangeas, they are paniculata. So they're the ones that bloom in late summer and look beautiful all through the fall and will often hold their flowers all winter as crispy bronze pretty ornamental uh, decor all winter. Both these plants want full sun, full sun, six hours minimum a day. Both of them want sufficient space. We're going to talk a bit about the size of these plants. They want good soil, not tired out, old, urban, crappy soil, but nice, fertile, quality soil. And both these plants should be pruned in the spring, just as the buds are starting to break and the leaves are starting to grow. Because just like our last caller who was asking about lilacs, about trimming them, lilacs bloom early, so we don't trim them until after they flower. These hydrangeas bloom late, late in the season, so we prune early in the season, and that way we get even more, more flowers later in you know, August. So bottom line, limelight, the one that she planted first, ultimately wants to be six to seven feet tall and wide, just on its own, even with trimming, because I have tried to control the size of this plant. And I I had it back in Richmond Hill, and I used to cut it down to four feet every spring, and it still grew back to seven feet by the end of the summer. It does have beautiful, they call it it limelight, because the flowers come out with a limey sort of a chartreuse, very beautiful green, greeny white flower, big flowers, which will turn pink as the weather gets cooler in the autumn. So you get your cool nights, you're, you go from green to actually white to then pink flowers on the limelight hydrangea. 
Vanilla strawberry, on the other hand, doesn't get as big. I mean, it gets as tall as a limelight, but not as wide. So it does typically have smaller leaves, and it is a slightly smaller plant. And it's same kind of time of year. Though vanilla strawberry blooms earlier than limelight, that's why people love it so much. It will start blooming in July with white flowers that will very shortly after being white slide into a pink and then slide into a knock-your-socks-off pinky red color, which is where the name vanilla strawberry comes from, and they should be that bright, bright color in August when the limelights are just coming out with the green. So I get that Arlene was maybe trying to get a bit of a show happening with the two of them, but I'm wondering in her Ajax home if she's got room for these plants, enough space. And, and if she does, she's got a big enough yard, and they're not too close together, and they're getting the sun they need, then make sure you're looking after the soil, giving them a good soil amendment, and make sure you're doing all the pruning that you want to do in the spring. So that's April or May at the latest. Very good. Thank you, Charlie. Long um, answer, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm reaching for that bell again, by golly. This is for Joan calling in from the Niagara area. Good morning, Joan. Whoop. okay, uh... Where are we going next? Okay, uh, okay, Jim, in Rochester, New York. And I think I think that's next. Just a second. Let me give that. He's a first-time caller. We know that. Hi, Jim. Hi, Frank. Uh, thank you for taking my call and a belated happy birthday. Well, thank you, uh, Charlie. I have problems growing my Brussels sprouts. Um, the top uh, bud comes nice and big, but the ones along the side of the stalk are like giant marbles. I put them in the same area that I put my strawberries. They get plenty of sun. What am I doing wrong? Help. Huh. So, wait, so you've had this for a couple of years? Or yes. just this year this is happening? Yeah, I've tried it for a couple of years, and I, I just don't know what to do now. So the lower um, little sprouts don't really develop into, into edible. They just stay tiny. Yeah, yeah, they're real tiny. Um uh, they're edible, but they're, as I say, they're like the size of a marble. Okay. And how long do you leave the Brussels sprouts in the garden? Do you harvest them um, in September or do you leave them? October. October, okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, the longer you leave them, the sweeter they get. That's the neat thing about Brussels sprouts. Um, okay, I don't know the answer to that question off the top of my head. I'm going to have to uh, look that up. I've got all kinds of books here on growing vegetables, so, uh, and not to mention a bunch of smart friends who know everything about growing vegetables. So let me, um, let me say I will report back next week on what I can suggest you do about the, so they're in lots of sun, the soil is good, uh, you mentioned the strawberries, they're all happy. Whoops. You still there? Yeah, are you low there? Yeah, I'm still here, the tomatoes oh, are okay. happy, everybody's happy but the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> okay, all right, like I said, Tune in next week. I'll do my best. Okay. I, I Thank don't you very much. Time Thank, today thank to you so that. much, Jim. That's a um, very specific question. <laughs> all righty. Um, oh, I'm kind of come back in just a couple of moments with a, an email. And just a reminder to folks, Charlie always loves to receive emails from you. Uh, by all means, uh, drop her a line, send a photograph if, if you can. And her address goes this way. C dot dobbin d-o-b-b-i-n at mzmedia.com and heads up to barbara taylor i'll be dealing with your email in the next little segment which starts after these words from our sponsors don't change stations just because the weather changes garden tips and advice all year round this is the garden show with charlie dobbin 
exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I hope uh, Barbara Taylor's tuned in. Here's the answer, hopefully, coming up from you regarding uh, a photo that she has sent you. She says, uh, Hi, Charlie and Frank, in the past week, uh, I've noticed what looks like tiny white blossoms on our boxwood. However, I looked at them closer, went to touch them, and they're not a flower but something sticky. I know there's some kind of infestation that's white and fluffy. I can't remember what it's called, and I don't know what to do with it. Can you help? I've enclosed yeah. that fo- close-up photo for you. She did. That was great. I, and it does. she does have an, <clears throat> an infestation. I did directly email Barbara as well to send her a couple of web links. Anybody with boxwood in the Toronto area particularly should be looking carefully at their boxwood plants. Uh, there's two, which, what Barbara's got looks a lot like mealybug, which is not that common on boxwood, but if it is mealybug, then she should be spraying with soap and water. Uh, that's a 40 water to one soap spray uh, early or late in the day to try and annihilate the insect that she's going to have to spray more than once. However, in the GTA, there's a fairly new pest. It's called a box tree moth larva. So box tree moth larva. Mm. What they do is they attach the leaves together, the boxwood leaves together with webbing. So you'll see the leaves are all kind of clumped together. What you have to do is pull those leaves apart and, and look. You may find a green larva, a little tiny larva, which is a little tiny caterpillar. It'll have black spots and a black head so remember the way it works right we love our our monarch butterflies because they turn into beautiful butterflies but before they're beautiful butterflies they are caterpillars and they eat as we all know milkweed plants so in this case this is a plant that's uh, sorry an insect that's going to turn into a moth but before it's a moth it is a a green caterpillar with black spots and a black head so uh that's a pick and squish if you if you can unless you've got so many boxes you can't control that way. The other thing is to get a hold of the BTK, so BT for Bacillus thuringiensis, and spray as per package directions to try and avoid long-term damage to your boxwood plants. And unfortunately, because of the gypsy moth infestation, BT is in short supply. So if you think you're going to need some BT, get into your local garden center as fast as you can and buy some and have it on the shelf. It's a wonderful all-purpose insecticide that does not hurt birds or, or anything other than caterpillars. So don't be spraying the monarch caterpillars. Only spray the pest caterpillars, and it will do a good job uh, poisoning them and killing them. Okay, we've got over just a little over four minutes for um, the remainder of part of the show. We've got a couple um, of callers, so let's wait, see if we can get them on the wait, air and the answers. Joan uh, in Burlington with a question for you. Good morning, Joan. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Great. Excellent. Good. Charlie, I called you a short time ago um, about my orchid, how it had not bloomed. Um, mm-hmm. It turned out for 18 months it did not bloom. Now, on Mother's Day... My son brought me a new orchid, and he said, that one should be tossed. I said, no, 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 I have to keep it. Charlie told me I should just persevere with it, which I did. Uh I noticed noticed a half-inch new growth on the uh, the day before Mother's Day. This Uh turned into almost five-inch new growth with buds Uh on it. But at the end of one of the branches, of the old branches, it was beginning to turn um, brown and dry. What do I do with that one? Just cut off the brown and the dry. Nope. It's in, like orchids are kind of interesting that way. <clears throat> the um, uh, 
phalaenopsis or the moth orchids that you're talking about. So they send up a green shoot, and buds will form on that shoot, and we enjoy the flowers. Yeah. Once, and they last sometimes for a couple of months. Once the flowers have all dropped off, my impulse is to say, oh, well, the flowers are done. I'll just cut away that whole flower stem. But because orchids are so interesting, they'll often break another little stem off of that stem and send out more buds and more flowers. Mm-hmm. So never cut the flower stem down unless it is totally black or dark brown right down to the leaves. Then you can cut it out. But otherwise, let it stay there. You'd be surprised what might happen. The tip will often start darkening brown and starting to go down. And you can always clip that out, but don't cut off any green. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, on this new shoot that's come out, it's almost five inches now, there's a new shoot coming off of that one with buds on it. There, yeah, exactly. That's a good now, example. Where all the old flowers were, it still looks at little buds. Yeah. Will they flower or will they not? Well, no. Are there buds or is it just a green stem? Pardon me? Where the old flowers were, mm-hmm. is it a green stem? Yeah. And are, you say there's buds or no? Well, where the flowers were, it looked like little buds. Okay, and yeah. It like no, the old time. No, no, those aren't buds. Those are where the flowers were. But just let it be. Let, let it do its thing. It mm-hmm. will figure, it'll likely send another little shoot off of that stem too. Sounds good. Okay, enjoy. Thank you. Hey, um, Frank. Yes, Charlie. Uh, uh, Jim, Rochester. Yeah. Brussels sprouts. Very quickly, uh, companion plants for Brussels sprouts. It is suggested that tomatoes not be a companion or pole beans uh, because cabbage crops like Brussels sprouts contain chemicals that inhibit tomato growth. And any of the, the peppers, the eggplants, anything that's part of that family, the nightshade family. Um, the other thing is said, and I, I've only grown Brussels sprouts once in my life. So it says here, one plant can produce as many as 100 sprouts, so those little baby cabbages. But if you want to harvest all the sprouts on a plant at once, pinch out the growing tip, the top set of leaves, four weeks in advance of harvest. All the sprouts on the stem will come to harvest at once. So that was what Jim was saying. He gets a nice one on the top, but all the other ones are tiny. So there's, your, there's the answer, I think. Uh, four weeks before you expect to harvest all those babies along the, the bottom, uh, along the, the main stem, cut off the top and enjoy the one and then wait four weeks and then enjoy 99 more. Okay. Um, we had uh, Valerie online uh, holding from, let's see, Etobicoke, but we ran out of time. So, uh, Carlos, I've said, please get her number. We'll call her first off the bat next week. Okay, Valerie? Thank you very much for being so patient. And, Charlie, it's been a, a great show of uh, some really neat questions. Yeah, no kidding. Really, all over the map and all over the world at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Hey, so- Thank you for sending me the picture of, you know, proud grandpa of his latest, <laughs> latest brood. But I do, I certainly got a nice chuckle out of your, your swans. You need to get a blog or something and you can put that picture up because that is really, really sweet. The six little baby swans coming to visit granny and grandpa <laughs> <laughs> on the edge of the pond. Thank you, so Charlie. Thank, thank you, Frankie. Thanks, Carlos. Couldn't do any of this without the great listeners. So keep them coming. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.